Let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. Dr. Luke writes, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Before I get started, I do want to uh, publicly say that I'm indebted to two books which have really been a, a help to me as I've worked my way through some of these issues. The first one is, I've mentioned already, Sinclair Ferguson's Devoted to God's Church. I would highly recommend it to you. Uh, the other book is a small little book simply titled The Church by Jeffrey Johnson. And so I'm in debt to those two men in helping shape and form some of my thoughts that I've been giving the past few weeks. And I'll start with Sinclair Ferguson. He writes in, in the book, Devoted to God's Church, that being a Christian involves belonging. Now, he draws on Romans chapter 10, verse 9, where Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Pastor Ferguson goes on to say, but being a Christian is not an individual or isolationist activity because believing also entails belonging. So being a Christian, by definition, and I know this will sound radical to some, but being a Christian, by definition, involves belonging to the church, and that in turn means belonging to a particular church. Uh, but this idea of a Christian attaching themselves to one particular church has really fallen out of favor today. In fact, many churches have adopted the stance that if you just come on a semi-regular basis, that you're considered a member of the church. Uh, others have gone so far as to say, well, you don't even really have to be a believer in order to be a member of the church. Uh, I received some correspondence that's been a few weeks ago from someone who said that although they were, now listen, listen carefully to this, although they were already grounded in, in several other churches in town, they would like to learn more about our church and possibly become grounded here as well. But just think about that statement. Now, obviously, though the one or others who possess that mindset, one of two things I think are true. First of all, they are ignorant of what the Scriptures teach concerning church membership. Or they have decided that church membership isn't a necessity and they can in some way attach themselves to more than one church. Well, here would be the analogy I would use to help them see this. Can a tree be planted in more than one spot? No. So nowhere does the New Testament give us any indication that you or I as a believer can be rooted or grounded in several churches. That creates all kinds of problems, which I won't get into. We also had a, a, a family that wanted to become a member of our church, but they also wanted to be a member of a church in Richmond. Now, both of those ideas or both of those mindsets are completely foreign to the New Testament. You say, well, why are they foreign to the New Testament? Well, first of all, it's clear from the New Testament that belonging to a specific church is one of the privileges of being a Christian, of being a part of God's kingdom, of being a part of God's family. It's a privilege to be able to belong to a specific church. Second, it's clear from the New Testament 
that belonging to a single church, a particular church, is one of our core responsibilities as a Christian. It's not an add-on or an upsell. Have you ever bought anything online and you, know, you got what you wanted, then all of a sudden they try and sell you ten other things? And I'm afraid that some Christians have fallen prey to thinking that, well, church membership is just an add-on. It's an upsell rather than a core responsibility. I think I mentioned in the very first message that I preached on the church that where Sinclair Ferguson said that from one point of view, the church is so central to the New Testament's vision of the Christian life, if push comes to shove, the Lord Jesus and his people are to come first. And I realize for many, that is radical thinking. But I ask you, let's think through the, what's the gospel logic behind that statement? Well, if we listen very carefully to the teaching of Jesus, he makes it plain and clear. He demonstrates to us that as long as we give absolute priority to anything other than himself, we simply cannot enjoy either him or the Christian life in the way that he intends us to be able to enjoy them. Let me say it this way, maximum enjoyment of Jesus is only experienced as he is at the center of our lives. We can't relegate Jesus to the periphery and think that we're going to get maximum enjoyment or benefit, for that matter, from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer said, all this becomes clear when we grasp a basic principle. The church is a community in which the kingdom of Christ comes to expression. It's not a democracy run by elected representatives in which we debate priorities. It is Jesus' kingdom. So the first question that matters is, what is the will of the Lord Jesus? Nor is the answer impossibly difficult. It is found in a relatively short, perhaps 250-page book called the New Testament, a surprising amount of which is about life in the church. If we would only see that, it would both simplify and transform so much of our attitude to the church, in fact, it would transform many churches. So it is in the pages of the New Testament where we learn that when God calls his people, he calls the members of his family to be active and faithful members of a local church, not an online church. I saw an advertisement, it's been right around Christmas time, I think it was, where this church, it was a brand new church startup, but it was only going to be online. They never intended to have a physical location at all. It's just going to be an online church that is contradictory to what the New Testament teaches about the church. Uh, we are called to a physical church. A physical church that has flesh and blood, real bodies of real believers. And God in His sovereignty has called these folks, like you and I, out of a state of spiritual death into a state of spiritual life. And He would have them become a part of a local church family so that He can mold and shape them into the image of Christ. God places you and I into a specific body of believers because it is in that place that he has things for you to learn with and from a particular and very specific group 
of people. And that's why the selection of a church is so important. We will see a little bit later on that one of the reasons that every believer should belong to a church is because the church is one of God's chosen means for our sanctification. So, as radical as this may seem to some, if we understand this, it will transform not only our churches, churches, but those who make up the church. And if we properly understand this, if we, it, it will help us to understand why the church should be the focal point of our lives as Christians and not something that we squeeze into our schedule whenever it's convenient. Now, I know nowadays with online calendars, you can pretty much start your week with any day of the week that you want, but normally the first day of the week was always what on a calendar? Sunday. It was Sunday. And that's still right and proper and true for us as believers. The first day of the week, the most important day of the week for us as believers should be Sunday. It really, Sunday should be the hub, the center of our lives from which everything else flows out from there. Remember, as we saw in the very first uh, uh, message in this series, the motivation for going to church is to glorify God. Therefore, if God is to be at the center of the Christian life, then the church would need to be at the center of the Christian's schedule. And I know, I know this has, seems like a strange concept to many in our day and age. For many, well, if, they don't, if they're not going to the lake, they'll show up at church. Or if they're not going hunting, they'll show up at church. Or they're not going camping, they'll go to the church. Or the fact of the matter is they just want to lay in bed for a couple more hours so they won't go to church. But that's really foreign to what the New Testament teaches us. And if you take issue with what I say, please don't email me. Okay? Here's why I say that. Go back to the New Testament. If I say anything here today that you take umbrage with, go back to the New Testament. Let the New Testament speak for itself. I'm not afraid to say, hey, go back here, and if you can, show me where I've messed up. Go back to the pages of the New Testament and see what the New Testament has to say about this. All right. So why is it that so many today consider the Lord's Day uh, they, or let me put it another way, they, they discount the necessity of church membership. Let me put it that way. Why is it that so many professing believers today discount the necessity of church membership? Let me give you two cultural reasons, and I don't want to dwell on the negatives much at all, but just, let me just give them to you. First of all, our society, our culture as a whole, does not like to be accountable to anyone or anything anymore. I think we all would agree with that. The individual is now king. The, ind the needs and the wants and the desires of the individual, they trumps all. Now, sadly, this worldly philosophy has made serious inroads into the lives of many professing believers so that they have adopted that same kind of approach and they begin to apply this to their thinking as Christians, as they begin to apply this to their lives as Christians. So they mistakenly believe that they can survive as an individual Christian, kind of as a free agent, that they don't have to uh, attach themselves to a local congregation. I mean, after all, 
what do we have? What have we seen this year? We have remote workers. We have remote doctor visits. Why not have remote congregations? And there are many who I saw this morning, I saw four ads, four ads this morning for online churches. Now, here's the thing. Not a one of them was from Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, and two in West Virginia. What's the message we're sending? What's the message we're sending? You don't have to be attached to a local church. Find you one online that's hip, cool, that you like. So this spirit of individualism is part of the reason many people seem to be on a continual search for the perfect church that meets their personal expectations. The church is not viewed as God's means of sanctification for them. The church is viewed in a selfish, self-centered way. And if it doesn't meet my individual needs, if it doesn't give me everything that I want, then I'm on my way. So that's one reason. There's the idea of uh, attaching yourself to local church falling off every second. Our society, our culture as a whole, we've given up on the idea of commitment. Even if they do come and become a part of a local church, many have their escape plan in their back pocket. If they don't get their way, if they get their feelings hurt, if they feel slighted in some way, if the pastor says something that they don't like, then they're just going to boot scoot themselves out the door. If they feel that their individual liberties are being infringed upon, I'm out of here. If the pastor doesn't require what they think should be required, sayonara, I'm out of here. These are all actions, and, and these are all actions of immature believers or unsaved people. To leave a church over these kinds of issues is to rob yourself of experiencing the healing power of the gospel. If you want to know how powerful the gospel is, you have to be willing to find yourselves in situations in which the gospel can be applied to that particular situation. But we don't want to do that anymore, do we? Sadly, gone are the days when Christians make a lifelong commitment to a church. You know how many? I'm, I'm soon to be 60. I know I don't look it, but, you know, it's, it's true. What are you laughing at, John? You know how many churches I've been a member of in my 60 years on this earth? Three. The, third, the first, I don't, I'm having a senior moment here, the first 35, 36 years I was a member of one church. I became a member of the second church when I became the pastor, and I'm a member of this church. Three churches in 60 years. But gone are the days when people make a lifelong commitment to a church. We live in a time when Christians, uh, they won't, either they won't, or they don't even consider applying the gospel to the relationships in the church. 
And if they have some sort of disagreement with another in the church, what do they normally do? They leave. So we have Paul's advice to two ladies in Philippi, Iodia and Syntyche, in Philippians 4.2, I think it is, where he says, hey, ladies, agree in the Lord. Well, that's kind of thrown right out the window. No, I'm not going to agree. I'll go someplace else where I don't have to see Syntyche. Christians are called by God to live out the gospel within the family of God's people. If you're not going to live out the gospel here, where are you going to live it out? Many Christians need to understand that while Christianity certainly has to do with the individual and is personal, it's not all about the individual. One writer says, in fact, it is their personal and invisible relationship with Christ that compels believers to have a corporate and visible relationship with each other. In other words, the very fact that we are Christians compels us to get together with other Christians. To love Christ is to love his people. Then to submit to Christ is to submit to a local church. So there's just, there's just a couple of negatives, if I can put it that way. Let me give you some six biblical reasons as to why every believer should be a member of a local church. Here they are, and I, I, I am deeply indebted to Jeffrey Johnson's book, The Church. These, I've taken these six reasons directly from him, not all the filler, but certainly the main points. Reason number one, the New Testament assumes that all Christians will be members of a local church. The New Testament assumes that all Christians will be members of the local church. Now, let me be clear. Church membership doesn't save anyone. Neither does baptism save anyone. We saw last week that the first step in order to become a member of the church is to what? To be born again, to be born from above. But uh, church membership or baptism are not a means of salvation. But neither is church membership or baptism to be viewed as options for Christians. In other words, a person comes to faith in Christ, they should be baptized, they should become a member of the church. They don't have, it's not up to their personal choice. I say that because We've learned that the church is characterized as a family of God, and a family is not something that you choose, correct? You weren't born into the family that you were born into. You become a part of the family by being born into it. Likewise, a new birth is designed to unite you with a local church family. Michael Horton says, a church is not a group of friends you've picked. It's a group of brothers and sisters God has picked for you. Now, let's go back to the verses we started with this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, because in those two verses, we see this natural process that all believers should go through. What is this process? Well, the process is faith. They, they believe, then they are baptized, and then church membership. That's the natural process that all believers are to go through. Jonathan Lehman says, from the non-Christian standpoint, a local church is a voluntary association. No one has to join. From the standpoint of the Christian, however, it's not. Once you choose Christ, you must choose his people too. It's a package deal. Choose the Father and the Son, and you have to choose the whole family, with which you do through a local church. And if we think it through the books of the New Testament, if we just think about the titles of the books of the New Testament, what do we discover? 
that many of those books were written to what? Not individuals, but local churches. They were written to groups of people called out by God and placed into a local church. Now, Paul wrote two letters to a man named Timothy, who was a pastor, but part of his reason for writing to Timothy was to instruct him so he could instruct the members of the churches he pastored how they should behave in the church. In 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.15, excuse me, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What's Paul call the church? The household of God. And he says, Timothy, you need to understand that when you become a part of the household of God, there's a certain way that you are to act in the household of God. What is the implication? The implication is that Paul expected them to be members of a church. You know, and additionally, if, if a careful reading of the New Testament will quickly reveal that we cannot carry out many of the responsibilities of the Christian life in isolation, we, it simply cannot be done. They must be carried out in the context of the local church, such as the one another commands that we find throughout the New Testament. You cannot do a one another command if you're not with one another. Finally, consider this. Was Paul only an evangelist or was Paul only a church planner? Well, the reality is Paul was both. He won people to Christ while at the same time he was what? He was planning churches. So if Christianity was kind of like an individual thing and you didn't need anybody else, why did Paul start churches? Why wasn't he content to simply win them to Christ and say, see you in heaven? No, he won them to Christ while at the same time he labored diligently to do what? To plant churches. And what was the purpose of these churches? So that these people that had been brought to Christ could grow into Christ-likeness so that they could become spiritually mature, so they could be brought to spiritual maturity. That just tells us that the local church was a necessity to the Apostle Paul. If he labored so diligently to plant these churches, why would any Christian think they didn't need to be a member of a local church? Second reason. Church membership is evidence of the new birth. Again, go back to our verses. The natural order, I said, is faith, Baptism and church membership. So that means that church membership is evidence of the new birth. Mark Dever says when a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a local church because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual maturity. He joins a local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him a member of the body of Christ. Okay. So when a person submits themselves to the authority and the membership of a local church. They're giving evidence that they have been born again. As one writer said, the saints love one another, they care for one another, and they feel closest to heaven when they are gathered together. What does, what does John say in 1 John three fourteen? Now, listen carefully what he says here. By the way, if, if, you, if you're ever struggling with the, the assurance of your salvation, go to 1 John. Just soak in 1 John. He says in 1 John 3, 14, we know, now notice this, we know, well, what do we know, John? That we have passed out of death into life, 
How do we know that, John? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, meaning he hasn't passed from that state of spiritual death to spiritual life. So if a person claims to be a Christian, but yet they don't love their brothers and sisters in Christ, we have every legitimate right to point out to them and say to them, now wait a minute, this doesn't square with what the Scriptures say. Knows that uh, I think there's a few years ago there's a book that was written. You know, uh, the title was "They Like Je- They Like Jesus, They Just Don't Like the Church." Well, sorry, you can't have it that way. A love for one another is evidence of the new birth. So, for those who really don't give a flip about those who are supposed to be their brothers and sisters in Christ, well, what what can we think about that? Are they just mean? Sour people, maybe, but it could also mean that they've never been born again. They've never been born from above. Reason three, church membership is essential for sanctification. Church membership is essential for sanctification. Can I say that about 20 times? Church membership is absolutely essential for sanctification. Say, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a lifelong process whereby The Holy Spirit works in our lives through our relationship with others, through our relationship with Scripture, in order to help us to become more like Jesus. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us is through our interactions with others. Mark it down, write it down, circle it, start, highlight it, do whatever you have to do. Never, ever forget that. My interaction with you, your interaction with me, is one of the means whereby God sanctifies us. And specifically, with our fellow church members. The church has always been and always will be made up of imperfect people who have been brought together by God. And whenever imperfect people are brought together, guess what follows? Problems. Problems. Friction takes place. Feelings will be hurt. Unkind words will be said. Careless words will be spoken. You'll find out rather quickly that your personal preferences don't really matter to some other people. They're not their personal preferences. And all of these things have the potential to do what? To create conflict. What is the solution? What is the biblical solution? Is it to find another church? Never. The solution is understanding that the Holy Spirit is working through these situations to sanctify us. He's working in these kinds of difficult situations to mold us and conform us to the image of Christ. And I'll be the first to admit Many times they can be very painful experiences and perhaps the most painful experiences of your life. 
But remember, all things work together, what? For good. Say, even the painful experiences of life? Absolutely. All these things are working for our good. They're working to conform us to the image of Christ. Let me ask you a, a, a very serious question. Do you think you can escape God's process of sanctification by leaving the church? A conflict arises. It's not accidental. God has either brought that specifically into our lives or He's let circumstances play out so that the situation develops in our lives. It's not happening by accident. It's not happening by accident that it's taking place within your church family. So do you honestly think that you can escape the working of God by leaving the church? If God is sanctifying you through that particular problem, and you leave the church, and you may join another church, dollars to donuts, that same problem or something very similar is going to show up in that next church. Why? Because God brought that into your life to sanctify you. And just because you walk away or run away, God will follow you. If that is his means of sanctifying you, he's going to use that. Running away never solves the problem. It may, it may very well exaggerate the problem. What do we say? You can run, but you can't hide. Again, if you're trying to run away from what God is doing in your life, it's not going to work. But we see this all the time, don't we? God places you in a local body as a means of sanctification. Okay. Reason four. Church membership is essential to loving Christ. Church membership is essential to loving Christ. Ephesians 5.25 teaches us that Jesus loved the church enough so much that he was willing to do what? He was willing to die for the church. So if Jesus loves the church with all of its warts and its imperfections, how are we going to love Jesus and not love what he died for? Listen, there's no perfect church. All churches have problems. But yet Jesus died for the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the imperfect church. And if Jesus loves the imperfect church, so too should you and I love the imperfect church. Joel Beakey asked, if the Lord Jesus Christ cherished the church so much that he died for her, is it too much for us to ask his followers to cherish the church and live for her? Reason five, church membership is essential to obedience. Church membership is essential to obedience. The Bible makes it clear in many places, but I'll point out one. The Bible makes it clear that we are to be active members of a local church. For instance, Hebrews 10, familiar to many of us, 10, 24, and 25, and let us consider 
how to stir up, here's that command again, one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging again one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You cannot encourage me from a distance. I need the smile. I need the pat on the back. I need the prayer. I need the kind word. I need that. We need that from one another. We need a word of Scripture spoken at the appropriate time. We need each other's presence. There are times when we don't know what to say, but we can be present. Spurgeon addressed the necessity of church membership to those who didn't think it was necessary, as only Spurgeon can do. He has his conversation. He said, I know there are some who say, well, I've given myself to the Lord, but I don't intend to give myself to any church. I say, now, why not? And they answer, because I can be just as good a Christian without it. I say, are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient. I don't believe that you're answering the purpose for which Christ saved you. You're living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you're much to blame for the injury you do. Reason number six, church membership is God's means of accountability. Church membership is God's means of accountability. At the heart of church membership is accountability. Again, in the New Testament, every believer is instructed to commit to one another, to submit to one another, to love and care for one another, to watch out for the spiritual welfare of one another, to pray for one another. But we hear that word accountability, and immediately we think of it in a negative sense, don't we? Like it's almost like it's punishment. Well, I do believe that accountability can and many times is and should be a very positive experience. Here's why I say that. Because accountability helps us to experience God's best for us. Think of accountability this way. Accountability is an expression of God's love for us. A parent will hold their children accountable Why? Because they love them and they want the best for them. Likewise, because God loves his children and he wants the best for them, he holds them accountable. And that accountability comes through the church family. And again, I believe it is a means of God expressing his love for us. So those are six reasons why every believer should be a member of a local church. I give a quote here from Jeffrey Johnson. He said, The fact that Christ died for the church must elevate it as more than just a Sunday morning punch-in, punch-out activity for us. Church membership is something that God requires of His people, which includes placing oneself under the care of the church, under the rule of the elders, committing to be faithful in attendance and regular support of the ministry, and making oneself responsible for the spiritual well-being of others within the church body. Christ instituted the church for the saints. To shun it, to shun it is to view oneself wiser than God.
Well, that may leave some of you with some questions. Well, how exactly do you become a member of our church? What's the membership process here at Grace Church? Well, first, as we saw last week, you must be born again. And sadly, we've had some hit and misses on that, but we do our best to make sure that people are born again before they come into the membership of the church. Apart from being born again, membership is pointless and without benefit. It does you absolutely no good to be a member of the church if you have not yet been born again. Why? Because the benefits of church membership are only for those who have been born again. Second would be your baptism. Remember, that's a natural process. Belief, baptism, belonging, if I can say it that way. Third step, and this is our process, we have found it very helpful. In order to become a member here, you have to agree to undergo discipleship for at least six months before you attend a membership class. Uh, and we, we do that with reason, because one of the reasons of which is we want you to get to know us, we want to get to know you, and plus, when you sign that church covenant, you are making a, an agreement that you will continue to both be discipled and disciple others. So it starts off with the process of undergoing a discipleship. And then the fourth step would be going through the membership class where you will learn in some detail what our beliefs are, what our philosophy of ministry is. And our goal is to provide you with enough information to, so that you can make a, a properly informed decision as whether or not you want to make a long-term commitment to us because we are going to make a long-term commitment to you. So, if you are interested in membership, um, that's good. You should be. And uh, you can either let myself or Ben or John know about that, and we will move forward uh, from there.